what do you say about authentic relationships? Does that make you an, sort of an expert in being real with people? And kind of a bit worried about that. You know, we're, we're just sometimes not really wanting to go too far with people and we want to protect ourselves. And it's kind of hard to think, well, what does it actually mean to be inauthentic relationships? And I, I, I think most of you know, Natasha and I have been living in Spain before we came to to England, and I moved out there as a single person, not knowing much Spanish. I could say the important words like ice cream and beer and toilet, um, but that doesn't get you very far in conversations. And to be honest, the first six months, it was kind of a, a lonely time, if you like, because I couldn't go very far in my conversation with people. I was sort of, yes, I have, I, you know, I, I, my name is Graham, how are you? And then they would rattle something off, and that was it, I was lost. And as I got a bit more confident, well, then you still make mistakes and don't quite communicate right. And um, one day I went into a flower shop and asked for a bunch of frogs instead of uh, <laughs> a, a bunch of flowers. And so you kind of feel very foolish and, you know, you're just not relating with anyone. And it's a struggle. Same thing happened to Gloucester because I couldn't understand it when I moved back to Gloucester. No, that's not true. When, we don't, uh, when we're not able to communicate and when we're feeling that loneliness, we realize something's wrong, that something's remiss. And so I think the kind of to, to set ourselves up before we get into the passage is to say, from creation, we're designed to be in relationship, in strong relationships. And I know in, in our Western culture, it's very much a kind of an individual thing where you need to be a self-made person. You get on, you get up and get on with it. And you face the challenges of life, and if you're a Christian, then it's you and God and your quiet time, and you press on. But we often forget the people around us and imagine that somehow we can have kind of a, an individual spirituality where it's me and Jesus, and it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. But I don't see that picture in the Bible, in the pages of the New Testament, and especially not in this letter. I see Paul opening up his heart and showing real emotional connection. So I think that's very important. And if you think about uh, creation itself, God made humankind, he said, I made them in his own image. And part of that image is the fact that God is a relational God. He's a God in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he built that into us as humans to be in relationship. And in fact, the first thing, or the second thing, the first thing he says that about mankind is it's very good. But the second thing he says about Man um, is that it's not good for him to be alone. Now, if you think about it for a minute, the man was in paradise, literally, in the Garden of Eden. He had a great relationship with all the animals around him. And he had a perfect relationship with God. There was no sin at that point. Why did he need anyone else? You know, just, should have just given him a football and a PlayStation, and he would have been set as a good man. But God says at that point, when he's got a perfect relationship with him, it's not good for him to be alone. And we're designed to relate at a deeper level than I think many times we want to go. We're designed to be in these strong relationships that God models in the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in perfect unity, perfect love. And so I want to kind of put that as the, the basis for what we're talking about. Say that's, that's where we're, we're aiming for. That's what we believe heaven will be like. And how can we maybe put some practical things in when we learn from what Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Paul uh, have in their relationship with the Philippians as we look in the passage. Now, I will say just a couple of things 
as sort of caveats to this. By talking about authentic relationships does not mean that we are going to be best friends with everyone all the time in the church. It's not possible in terms of time, emotions. You can only really get to know two or three people at maybe the deeper level, but we're still working together is what I'm trying to say. Secondly, this is not about opening up and spilling out all your deepest, darkest secrets every time you meet someone or they greet you at church. You know, the, the, the sugar bowl over there is a sacred space for the men to talk about football and other trivial things. We don't want to get all emotional. I'm not saying we need to do that. And this is not about your personality type. For those like me who are introverts and find it hard to go up and chat to people and meet new people, we look on with envy at the, the poor mans in the congregation who just talk with anyone and uh, just make people feel welcome and have conversation. You know, I, I get past, what's your name? And then I'm like... What do I say now? Crumbs. It, it doesn't matter if you're like that, if you're like me. You can still have strong, authentic relationships. And then lastly, I'm, I'm not saying that relationships should replace your relationship with God. But I do believe they go very much hand in hand. And I think in our tradition of Christianity, we much more emphasize my own personal walk with Jesus and ignore how much other people are meant to feed into that and how much I'm meant to feed into other people. So that's kind of where we're going this morning. So let's look at the passage which Andrew has kind of put together with the Philippians, uh, the book of Philippians, following the church values. And as Caris has read, Paul starts off by telling them, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. As we read through Philippians, what I find is, this incredible emotional open connection that Paul has with the church. If you remember in Acts 16, he went there, he planted the church, had a great ministry, ended up in prison, got kicked out. But obviously some kind of strong bond formed between him and the Philippians because they're a church that supports him continually through his endeavors. And he is so strongly emotionally related to them that actually news from them cheers him up. This is not... The Apostle Paul, I can do all things through Christ, and it doesn't matter what's going on around me, mode. This is the Apostle Paul. You know what? When Epaphroditus came bringing good news, it made my day. Because I really need you guys, and I need to hear about you. And he says, I want, as soon as I get out, I'm coming to see you. He says, I want to send Timothy to you, because I know when I hear news about you, it'll cheer me up. He says in verse 20, 22. No, sorry. 20... I can't find it now. Yeah, verse 19. Then he says, I'm going to send Epaphroditus because I know you've been anxious about him. And when you're anxious, it makes me anxious. And if I send him and you find out he's fine, then that will relieve a burden from me. He was really connected to the Philippians. And if you look through the whole letter that comes out, he begins the letter by saying, I thank my God every time I pray for you with joy. I long for all of you. And he goes on finishing the letter in chapter 4 by saying again, you're my beloved brothers and sisters whom I long for and love. And throughout the chapter he calls them beloved. Every chapter he, he reminds them, you're my beloved church. And he, he says that in Philippians more than any other letter. And it's, it's funny, we're not used to this kind of language talking about one another. I was texting Darren earlier in the week when I heard Nahum, was, had been doing poorly, 
And I started the text and I said, hi, and you know how smartphones like to be smart and fill everything in for you. I started typing D-A-R and it finished it with darling. So I thought, <laughs> that's probably going a bit too far, I'll leave that to Julia, <laughs> but Juliet, but... You know, Paul uses this kind of language. My beloved church, I long for you. I, I'm really wanting to be with you. And it's a bit over the top for us Brits. But actually that's because we're British, not biblical. And we need to be challenged by that, perhaps. And we see it in the way Paul is willing to send Timothy, his son in the Lord, the one who's with him, who'd been with him on mission since Philippi, in fact. And he says, I'm willing to send him back because I see you have a need and I'm going to put your needs ahead of mine. He says, I'm going to send back Epaphroditus who'd come for the very purpose of, yes, bringing a gift, but then his job was to stay and serve Paul's needs. He was in prison. He didn't have the usual prison services we have nowadays. It was up to the friends and family to look after the people in prison, bring them food, bring them clothes. And so he was saying, Epaphroditus is doing that need for me, but I see something bigger a bigger need for you guys, I'm willing to send him back because I love you guys so much. So what I see in the letter of Philippians as you look through all of it is that this is a letter with real emotional connection and a willingness to put the needs of others first. And I think that needs to characterize us as a church. If I was to, if you was to say, close your eyes for a minute, instead of Paul and the Philippians put your name and then Abbey Church, Martin and Abbey Church, and you close your eyes and you think, there's Abbey Church and my name here. Are those the kind of things that come to mind, or is it crumbs, I want to get out, it's one o'clock, I need my lunch. What is the, the emotional connection we have as a church? Is it biblical, or is it perhaps British? And that's the challenge for us. Yeah, having lived in different cultures, I can maybe come back and see some things, and I think, well, you know what, I miss that about Spain. There's a much deeper connection emotionally and relationally. But I think that's a challenge for us, and it's a challenge for me to think like that and to learn from Paul and his relationship with the Philippians. So that's what Paul says to them, and, and it carries on throughout the letter. But he also talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And if you remember last week, Darren was talking about... Um, how Christ had humbled himself unto death on a cross. And it begins in, in verse five, in verse 4, where, where Paul is challenging the Philippians, each of you should also look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he says, your attitude, verse 5, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, and goes into the whole hymn of Christ lowering himself unto death on a cross. He says that's our exemplar, that's our prime example of how we're to be in our relationships with one another, like Christ. And then what he's doing here now is saying, actually, here's one example, Timothy, and here's another example, Epaphroditus. So we're going to see how they reflect Christ and how that challenges us in our relationships. So what is how is Timothy like Christ in his relationship with the Philippians? Well, he says, verse 20, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone, verse 21, looks out for his own interests, not those of, Je of Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying about Timothy, he calls him a like-souled person. That's how he says it in, in the original, a like-souled. He's like-minded. If you like Anne of Green Gables, he was a kindred spirit. 
Timothy got Paul. He had the same passion, the same heart. And so Paul could say, of all the people around me, Timothy is the one that genuinely, really, truthfully cares for you guys. He has my heart for you. He really cares. It's genuine. Even though we're a thousand kilometers away in Rome, we care for you guys. We're praying for you. We're worried about you. He, he tell, it, It's quite strong. It's not just a, I, oh, I care about you. It's a real worry. He uses the same word when he tells the Philippians not to worry about anything. That's how, Paul, that's how he says Timothy feels about you. He's worried. He's anxious. Wants to know news of you. And so Timothy has this genuine care for them. But it's not just emotional warm feelings. Timothy has the interests of Christ at heart for the Philippians. And that would have reminded them. They would have just heard that read out. Don't look to your own interests. Look to the interests of others. Now he's saying Timothy looks to the interest of Christ, unlike everyone else around. And I think that's another challenge for me. Um, I'm very non-confrontational. I don't like rocking the boat. But I think what he's saying about Timothy is this guy cares for you genuinely with the interests of Christ that he would be someone I can send who's actually going to help you grow, actually going to challenge you where you're lacking, actually going to move you forward in Christ. And I think it's a real challenge for us to learn to love people enough to challenge them when needed, to love people enough to encourage them when needed, but particularly this idea of Paul tells the, the, the Ephesians to speak the truth in love to one another. I think in Britain we've probably turned that into speaking politely and niceness to one another. Where's the sense of I'm seeing my brother fall in something or not walk closely with Christ? Am I willing to be the one to go and challenge? Or am I too afraid because I don't want to ruin the friendship or rock the boat? That's me. I don't know how you relate in that. I think we, but I think we need to be challenged about that. We do need truthful encounter with one another, guided by love. You know, the football talk is great, but if we never get beyond that at any point, we're lacking something because we want to grow. We want to be more like Christ. We want the interests of Christ in our life and in the people around us. And that means we need to be willing to take the steps that sometimes are difficult, the hard conversations. And perhaps an illustration of that, I've been on missionary support, if you like, for 25 years. And to date, I've never received a check that says God in the corner. He's never signed a check. My God supplies all my needs, but it's someone else's name that writes the check. It's, it's somebody in the body of Christ. And I, I, as a missionary, cannot say individually I can serve Christ. I need other people. And yet I think with our own growth, with our own walk with Christ, we tend to think, well, it's just me on my knees and God with the Bible in my quiet time. It's not like that. If you isolate yourself, you are not going to grow. You have to have other people speaking into your life, speaking the truth in love. And you have to be willing to do that for others. And so that, that's something as I was preparing, I was thinking, well, when's, when's the last time I've done that? I shy away from the difficult conversations as my wife gets frustrated. But are we willing for that because we want to grow? That was how Timothy was genuinely caring for the Philippians. And Paul says he has proven worth. He came as a teenager with Paul into Philippi. He was on that mission trip and he'd been with him ever since. And they'd seen him grow. They couldn't doubt his commitment. 
part of his mission inauguration was being circumcised. That would be a good barrier for missions today. But they knew he was someone who'd been tried and tested, and he was willing to go the extra mile for them. So the question, I think, for us as we sit here is, in your mind thinking, well, who is my Timothy? Who's going to challenge me? Who am I going to go and challenge? Who's going to actually have that genuine care with the interests of Christ in my life? That's how I think we can learn from Timothy. So how do we learn from Epaphroditus? Well, Paul has to explain why he's sending back Epaphroditus. As I said, he'd come not only to bring this gift, but to look after Paul in prison. And so for him to come back seems like a bit early. The Philippians may have thought, well, he's kind of blown it. He's failed in his mission. Some commentators seem to suggest he's maybe even just a bit homesick. And Paul says, right, well, it's better off you go home. But actually, what I see here is Paul highly values Epaphroditus. He, he says several things about him and says, in the end, you need to receive him with joy and honor because of his sacrifice for the gospel. And he seemed to have a deep relationship with Epaphroditus, too. He says, when Epaphroditus was close to death, if he died, that would have been for me sorrow upon sorrow. So when God spared him, he spared me that sorrow. So he was very connected to him as well. And he says this. He says, Epaphroditus, in verse 25, he is my brother. And of course, he was Paul's brother as fellow believer. But I think he was more than that. He was brother as the one who came to meet Paul's needs. A brother helps in time of need. And that's what Epaphroditus did. He was the one who came. He was the one who walked those thousand kilometers, got on the boat, and came to Paul in Rome from his comfort. I, and I think, you know, we do see, I do see that certainly in church. When I managed to foolishly tear my Achilles tendon last year, um, you know, even right from day one, Chris Wintle came and sat with me in the hospital. You know the, the interminable wait you have in A&E these days. Then later on when I couldn't get to the drive around, Phil was kind enough to drive me to the physio a couple of times. And Paul Mann came and put up our kitchen blind because they'd done the kitchen and not done that bit. It's a good thing because it's, it's straight. And if I'd done it, it might not have been. So it's probably a blessing in disguise there. But that sense of when you have a practical need or an emotional need, or some kind of need, and someone in the church meets that need, it's an incredible encouragement. And I think we need to be alive to those opportunities. So he wasn't just a brother in Christ because he was in Christ. He was someone who came and met the need. And then Paul says, not only that, he's a co-worker. And the commentators tell us that for Epaphroditus to look after Paul, he may well have had to actually be with Paul in prison during the day, maybe even stay there. And that's perhaps why he got so sick nearly died. So he was someone who really put it on the line for Paul. He wasn't shirking his job. You know, He wasn't on the Friday night, doesn't come back and defend. He was there with Paul. That wasn't directed at any of the men in this room. Paul could rely on Epaphroditus. And so he says he's not just a brother and a co-worker, he's a fellow soldier. And Philippi was a Roman colony and would have been settled by many ex-Roman soldiers. And I'm sure there were some of those in the church who knew what it meant to be a fellow soldier, to stand in the gap, to lock shields. And Paul says, Epaphroditus is that for me. In the spiritual battle we're all in, he was the one who stood with Paul and locked shields in prayer, fighting the spiritual battle. 
So we see this relationship that Paul has with Epaphroditus as brother meeting the need, as fellow worker sticking with him in the hard time, and as fellow soldier fighting the spiritual battle. Christ's example that, Timothy, that Paul has just painted for the Philippians is lived out by Epaphroditus. His relationship was one of encouragement. But not only that, Epaphroditus also meant something to the Philippians. Paul says he was your messenger and your minister. In verse 25b, the last part. He's also your messenger. And the NRV says, whom you sent to take care of my needs. And it, it says, who was your minister to me. He was the one who made that journey that they sent. You know, when you put up your hands to volunteer to go and visit Paul in Roman prison and serve him, um, there probably weren't too many takers, but he was the one they sent. He was their apostle, in fact, it says. They sent one. And I think it's safe to say we wouldn't have the letter of, Ephi- of Philippians today if it hadn't been from Epaphroditus. He was the one who brought the report and the gift that Paul then wrote back about. And it seems very likely that Paul sent the letter when he sent him back. So Epaphroditus fills this need of people being sent to one another when they have a moment of need. And I I think there's a challenge there for us in our relationships. Are we open enough to hear God saying, actually, I want you to go and do this for so-and-so. I want you to say this. People around us in our church and in the community all the time are having physical difficulties, like I did with my Achilles, emotional struggles, which we don't need explaining, and spiritual difficulties. Are we going to be an Epaphroditus that hears that call and is sent by God to meet that need in whatever form? And again, you singularly cannot meet the needs of everyone in church, but if all of us in the church were saying, I'm alert to God for what he wants me to do this week, it would make a difference because we would be meeting one another's needs where we're at. Uh, Again, challenging myself, when was the last time I felt that I should have done something? In fact, last week I felt I should have done two things and I haven't done them yet. So there's a challenge here for us to be like Epaphroditus with the Philippians. They sent one. And he was their minister and servant. His practical help for, for Paul, Paul describes it as the work of Christ in verse 30. And he uses a word that suggests the priestly service that the priests offered up to God in the Old Testament. Everything we do for one another is in fact an offering to Christ. It's an offering to God. As we serve one another, we serve Christ. As we serve one another, we strengthen those relationships that we want to be authentic. In fact, James says if you see a need and don't meet it, then you've got to question your faith. Is it really real? And so I think as as we think about these three relationships of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus with the the Philippians, we need to say, yes, okay, I'm, I'm going to allow myself to open up. I'm going to drop the barriers. Of course, not with everyone and not all the time, but allow ourselves to go a bit deeper with people, to really be authentic in that sense. Because we're not alone in our walk with Christ. As we walk together, we strengthen one another and we grow together in Christ. And like Timothy, genuinely caring with Christ-like priorities so that we're willing to take 
time and the difficult conversations to move to maturity. And like Epaphroditus, caring for one another genuinely, meeting the need, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever, being there for people, hearing God's promptings. That's how I see authentic relationships working out from this passage. I'm sure there could be a hundred more things we could say, but if we even just put this into practice, I'm sure we would see authentic relationships that would draw other people in. So let's pray. Father, as we've sung about already, we're amazed at your love for us and the sacrifice that Christ made for us. And we're challenged to follow his example. And Lord, I fail that so many times because I look to my own interests ahead of others. And I pray for us as a church that we would open our hearts wide, as, as Paul said to the Corinthians, to one another. And that we would learn to look out for other people's interests. And just, I suppose, be more open to your nudgings and your promptings in terms of how we relate to one another. So I thank you for your word. I pray that it would convict us and challenge us. And together we would go forward and grow to be more like Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.